You're listening to Zi Xin Liu's The Three-Body Problem. Three. Red Coast One. Yeah, when Xia heard a loud, continuous roar, she didn't know how much time had passed. The noise came from all around her. In her vague state of consciousness, it seemed as though some gigantic machine was drilling into or sawing through the block of ice that held her. The world was still only darkness, but the noise grew more and more real. Finally, she was certain that the source of the noise was neither heaven nor hell, and she remained in the land of the living. She realized that her eyes were still closed. With an effort, she lifted her eyelids. The first thing she saw was a light embedded deeply in the ceiling. Covered by a wire mesh that seemed designed to protect it, it emitted a dim glow. The ceiling appeared to be made of metal. She heard a male voice softly calling her name. You have a high fever, the man said. Where am I? When Sia's voice was so weak that she couldn't be sure it was her own. On a helicopter. Yeah, felt weak. She fell back to sleep. As she dozed, the roar kept her company. Before long, she woke again. Now the numbness had disappeared and the pain reasserted itself. Her head and the joints of her limbs ached, and the breath coming out of her mouth felt scalding hot. Her throat hurt so much that swallowing spittle felt like it was a piece of burning coal. She turned her head and saw two men wearing the same kind of military coat that Representative Chang had worn. But unlike her, both of these men had on the cotton cap of the PLA, a red star sewn onto the front. Their coats were unbuttoned, and she could see the red collar insignia on their army uniforms. One of the men wore glasses. Yeah, discovered that she was covered by a military coat as well. The clothes she was wearing were dry and warm. She struggled to sit up, and to her surprise, succeeded. She looked out the porthole on the other side. Rolling clouds slowly drifted by, reflecting the dazzling sunlight. She pulled her gaze back. The narrow cabin was filled with iron trunks painted military green. From another porthole, she could see flickering shadows cast by the rotors. She was indeed on a helicopter. You'd better lie back down the man with the glasses said. He helped her down and covered her with the coat again. Yeah, Wincia, did you write this paper? The other man extended an open English journal before her eyes. The title of the paper was The Possible Existence of Phase Boundaries Within the Solar Radiation Zone and Their Reflective Characteristics. He showed her the cover of the journal, an issue of the Journal of Astrophysics from 1966. Of course she did. Why does that even need to be confirmed? The man wearing glasses took the journal away and then made introductions. This is political commissar Lei Tzu Cheng of Red Coast Base. I'm Yang Weining, base chief engineer. It'll be an hour before we land. You might as well get some rest. You're Yang Weining? Yeah, didn't say anything, but she was stunned. She saw that he kept his expression calm apparently not wishing to let anyone else know that they knew each other. Yang had been one of Ye Zetai's graduate students. By the time he had obtained his degree, Wenxia was still a first year in college. She could clearly remember the first time Yang came to her home. 
He had just begun his graduate studies and needed to discuss the direction of his research with Professor Ye. Young said that he wanted to focus on experimental and applied problems, staying away from theory. Yet Wintsia recalled her father saying, I'm not opposed to your idea, but we are, after all, the Department of Theoretical Physics. Why do you want to avoid theory? Young replied, I want to devote myself to the times, to make some real-world contributions. Her father said, theory is the foundation of application. Isn't discovering fundamental laws the biggest contribution to our time? Young hesitated and finally revealed his real concern. It's easy to make ideological mistakes in theory. Her father had nothing to say to that. Young was very talented with a good mathematical foundation and a quick mind. But during his brief time as a graduate student, he always kept a respectable distance from his thesis advisor. Yeah, when Tsia had seen Young several times, but perhaps due to the influence of her father, she hadn't noticed him much. As for whether he had paid much attention to her, she had no idea. After Young got his degree, he soon ceased all contact with her father. Again feeling weak, Ye closed her eyes. The two men left her and crouched behind a row of trunks to converse in lowered voices. But the cabin was so cramped that Ye could hear them even over the roar of the engine. I still think this isn't a good idea, Commissar Lay said. Can you find the personnel I need through normal channels? Young asked. Uh, I've done all I can. There's no one in the military with this specialization, and going outside the army raises many questions. You know very well that the security clearance needed for this project requires someone willing to join the army. But the bigger issue is the requirement in the security regulations that they be sequestered at the base for extended periods. What's to be done if they have families? Sequester them at the base, too? No one would agree to that. I did find two possible candidates, but both would rather stay at the May 7th cadre schools rather than come here. Of course, we could forcefully move them, but given the nature of this work, we can't have someone who doesn't want to be here. Then there's no choice but to use her. But it's so unconventional. This entire project is unconventional. If something goes wrong, I'll accept the responsibility. Chief Young, do you really think you can take responsibility for this? You're a technical person, but Red Coast is not like other national defense projects. Its complexity goes far beyond the technical issues. You're right, but I only know how to solve the technical issues. By the time they landed, it was dusk. Yeah, refused to be helped by Young and Lay, and struggled out of the helicopter by herself. A strong gust of wind almost blew her over. The still gyrating rotors sliced through the wind, making a loud whistling noise. The scent of the woods on the wind was familiar to her, and she was familiar to the wind. It was the wind of the greater Kingan Mountains. She soon heard another sound, a kind of low, forceful bass howl that seemed to form the background of the world, the parabolic antenna dish in the wind. Only now, when she was so close to it, did she finally feel its immensity. 
Yes, life had made a big circle this month. She was now on top of Radar Peak. She couldn't help but look in the direction of her construction core company, but all she could see was a misty sea of trees in the twilight. The helicopter was carrying more than just yeah. Several soldiers came over and began to unload military green cargo trunks from the cabin. They walked by without glancing at her. As she followed Yang and Lei, yeah noticed that the top of Radar Peak was spacious. A cluster of white buildings, like delicate toy blocks, nestled under the giant antenna. The trio headed toward the base gate, flanked by two guards, and stopped in front of it. Lei turned to her and spoke solemnly. Yeah, Wencia, the evidence of your counter-revolutionary crime is incontrovertible, and the court would have punished you as you deserve. But now you have an opportunity to redeem yourself through hard work. You can accept it or refuse it. He pointed at the antenna. This is a defense research facility. The research conducted here needs your specialized scientific knowledge. Chief Engineer Young can give you the details, which you should consider carefully. He nodded at Young and then entered the gate after the soldiers carrying the trunks. Young waited until the others were gone and indicated that Yes should follow him a little distance away from the gate, clearly trying to avoid the sentries listening in. He no longer pretended that he didn't know her. Wencia, let me be clear, th this is not some great opportunity. I learned from the Military Control Commission at the court that although Chang Lihua advocates sentencing you severely, the most that you'll get is 10 years. Considering mitigating circumstances, you'll serve maybe six or seven years. But here, he nodded in the direction of the base, is a research project under the highest security classification. Given your status, if you enter the gate, it's possible. He paused, as though wanting to let the bass howl of the antenna add to the weight of his words. You'll never leave for the rest of your life. I want to go in. Young was surprised by her quick answer. D don't be hasty. Get back onto the helicopter. It'll take off in three hours. And if you refuse our offer, it will take you back. I don't want to go back. Let's go in. Yeah's voice remained soft, but there was a determination in her tone that was harder than steel. Other than the undiscovered country beyond death from which no one has ever returned, the place she wanted to be the most was this peak, separated from the rest of the world. Here, she felt a sense of security that had long eluded her. You should be cautious. Think through what this decision means. I can stay here for the rest of my life. Young lowered his head and said nothing. He stared into the distance, as though forcing Ye to sort through her thoughts. Ye stayed silent as well. She pulled her coat tightly around herself and gazed into the distance. There, the greater Kingon Mountains were fading into the darkening night. It was impossible to stay out here much longer in the cold. Young began to walk toward the gate. He moved fast, as though trying to leave Ye behind but Ye stayed close. After they entered the gate of Red Coast Base, the two sentries shut the heavy iron doors. A little ways on, Young stopped and pointed at the antenna. This is a large-scale weapons research project. If it succeeds, 
the result will be even more important than the atomic bomb and the hydrogen bomb. They came to the largest building in the base, and Yang pushed the door open. Yes, saw the words Transmission Main Control Room over the door. Inside, warm air tinged with the smell of engine oil enveloped her. She saw that the spacious room was filled with all kinds of instruments and equipment. Signal lights and oscilloscope displays flickered together. A dozen or so operators dressed in military uniform were almost entombed by the rows of instruments, as though they were crouching inside battlefield trenches. The unceasing stream of operational orders and responses gave the whole scene a tense, confusing feel. It's warmer in here, Yang said. Wait here a bit. I'll take care of your living arrangements and return for you. He pointed at a chair and desk next to the door. Yes saw that someone was already sitting at the desk, a guard carrying a handgun. I'd rather wait outside, Yes said. Young smiled at her kindly. From now on, you'll be a member of the base staff. Other than a few sensitive areas, you can go anywhere you want. His face suddenly looked uncomfortable as he realized another layer of meaning to his words. You can never leave here again. I prefer to wait outside. Yeah, insisted. All right. Young glanced at the guard at the desk, who paid no attention to them. He seemed to understand Ye's concern and brought her back out of the main control room. Stand somewhere out of the wind, and I'll be back in a few minutes. I just need to get someone to start a fire in your room. Conditions at the base are a bit rough, and we have no heating system. Ye stood next to the main control room door. The huge antenna was directly behind her, and it blotted out half the sky. From here, she could clearly hear the sounds inside the main control room. Suddenly, the chaotic orders and responses ceased, and the room became completely quiet. All she could hear was the occasional low buzzing noise from some instrument. Then a loud male voice broke the silence. The People's Liberation Army 2nd Artillery Corps Red Coast Project 147th Transmission. Authorization confirmed. Begin 30-second countdown. Target classification A3, coordinate serial number BN20197F. Position checked and confirmed, 25 seconds. Transition file number 22, additions none, continuations none. Transmission file final check completed, 20 seconds. Energy unit reporting all systems go. Coding unit reporting all systems go. Amplifier unit reporting all systems go. Interference monitoring unit reporting within acceptable range. We have reached the point of no return. 15 seconds. Everything became quiet again. 15 seconds later, as a klaxon started to blare, a red light on top of the antenna began to blink rapidly. Begin transmission. All units continue to monitor. Yeah, felt a light itch on her face. She knew that an enormous electric field had appeared. She lifted her face and gazed in the direction the antenna was pointing and saw a cloud in the night sky glow with a dim blue light, so dim that at first she thought it was an illusion. But as the cloud drifted away, the glow disappeared. Another cloud that drifted into position began to give off the same glow. From the main control room, she heard more shouts. Malfunction with energy unit. Magnetron number three is burnt out. Backup unit is in operation. All systems go. 
Checkpoint one reached, resuming transmission. Ia heard a fluttering noise. Through the mist, she could see shadows lift out of the woods below the peak and spiral into the dark sky. She hadn't realized so many birds could be roused from the woods in deep winter. Then she saw a terrifying scene. One flock of birds flew into the region of air the antenna pointed at, and against the background of the faintly glowing cloud, the birds dropped out of the sky. The process continued for about 15 minutes. Then the red light on the antenna went out, and the itch on her skin disappeared. From the main control room, the confusing murmur of orders and responses resumed even as the loud male voice continued. Transmission 147 of Red Coast completed. Transmission system shutting down. Red Coast now entering monitoring state. System control is hereby transferred to the monitoring department. Please upload checkpoint data. All units should fill out transmission diaries. All unit heads should attend the post-transmission meeting in the debriefing room. We're done. All was silent except for the howl of the wind against the antenna. Yeah, watched as the remaining birds in the flock gradually settled back into the forest. She stared at the antenna and thought it looked like an enormous hand stretched open toward the sky, possessing an ethereal strength. As she surveyed the night sky, she did not see any target that she thought might be serial number BN20197F. Beyond the wisps of clouds, all she could see were the stars of a cold night in 1969. Part 2. Three Body. 4. The Frontiers of Science. 40-plus years later. Wang Miao thought the four people who came to find him made a rather odd combination. Two cops and two men in military uniforms. If the latter two were armed police, that would be somewhat understandable. But they were actually PLA officers. As soon as Wong saw the cops, he felt annoyed. The younger one was all right. At least he was polite. But the other one, in plain clothes, immediately grated on him. He was thick-set and had a face full of bulging muscles. Wearing a dirty leather jacket, smelling of cigarettes, and speaking in a loud voice, he was exactly the sort of person Wong despised. Wong meow? The way the cop addressed him by name only, so direct and impolite, made Wong uncomfortable. Adding to the insult, the man lit a cigarette as he addressed him, without even lifting his head to show his face. Before Wong could answer, the man nodded at the younger cop, who showed Wong his badge. Having lit the cigarette, the older cop moved to enter Wong's apartment. Please don't smoke in my home, Wong said, blocking him. Oh, sorry, Professor Wong, the young police officer smiled. This is Captain Shu Chiang. He gave Shu a pleading look. Fine, we can talk in the hallway, Shu said. He took a deep drag. Almost half the cigarette had turned to ashes, and he didn't blow out much smoke. He inclined his head toward the younger police officer. You ask him then. Professor Wong, we want to know if you've had any recent contacts with members of the Frontiers of Science, the young cop said. 
the frontiers of science is full of famous scholars and very influential. Why can't I have contact with a legal international academic group? Look at the way you talk, Shur said. Do we say anything about it not being legal? Do we say anything about you not being allowed to contact them? <sighs> he finally blew out the lungful of smoke that he had sucked in earlier, right in Wong's face. All right, then. Please respect my privacy. I don't need to answer your questions. Your privacy? You're a famous academic. You have a responsibility toward the public welfare. Sure, threw away the butt and took out another cigarette from a flattened pack. I have the right to not answer. Please leave. Wong turned around to go back inside. Wait, Sure shouted. He waved at the young cop next to him. Give him the address and phone number. You can come by in the afternoon. What are you really after? Wong said, his voice now tinged with anger. The argument brought the neighbors, curious about what was happening, out into the hallway. Captain Shu, you said he- The young cop pulled Shu aside and continued speaking to him in hushed, urgent tones. Apparently, Wong wasn't the only one annoyed by his rough manners. Professor Wong, please don't misunderstand. One of the army officers, a major, stepped forward. There's an important meeting this afternoon to which several scholars and specialists are invited. The general sent us to invite you. I'm busy this afternoon. We know. The general already spoke with the head of the Nanotechnology Research Center. We can't have this meeting without you. If you can't attend, we'll have to reschedule. Shu and the young cop said nothing. Both turned and went down the stairs. The two army officers watched them leave and seemed to sigh with relief. What's wrong with that guy? The major whispered to the other officer. He's got quite a record. During a hostage crisis a few years ago, he acted recklessly without concern for the lives of the hostages. In the end, a family of three all died at the hands of the criminals. Rumor has it that he's also friendly with elements of organized crime, using one gang to fight another. Last year, he used torture to obtain confessions and permanently disabled one of the suspects. That's why he was suspended from duty. Wang Miao suspected that he was meant to overhear the conversation between the officers. Maybe they intended to show him that they were different from that rude cop, or maybe they wanted to make him curious about their mission. How can a man like that be part of the Battle Command Center? The Major asked. The General specifically requested him. I guess he must have some special skills. In any case, his duties are quite restricted. Other than public safety matters, he's not allowed to know much. Battle Command Center. Wong looked at the two officers, baffled. The car they sent for Wang Miao took him to a large compound in the suburbs. Since the door had only a number and no sign, Wang deduced that this building belonged to the military rather than the police. Wang was surprised by the chaos as he entered the large meeting room. Around him were numerous computers in various states of disarray. They had run out of table space and put a few workstations directly on the floor, where power cords and networking wires formed a tangled mess. 
Instead of being installed in racks, a bunch of routers were left haphazardly on top of the servers. Printer paper was scattered everywhere. A few projector screens stood in various corners of the room, sticking out at odd angles like gypsy tents. A cloud of smoke hovered over the room. Wang Mao wasn't sure if this was the Battle Command Center, but he was sure of one thing. Whatever they were dealing with was too important for them to care about keeping up appearances. The meeting table, formed by pushing several smaller tables together, was piled with documents and odds and ends. The attendees, their clothes wrinkled, looked exhausted. Those wearing ties had all pulled them loose. It seemed as if they had been up all night. A major general named Chung Wei-si presided over the meeting, and half the attendees were military officers. After a few quick introductions, Wong found out that many of the others were police. The rest were academics like him, with a few prominent scientists specializing in basic research in the mix. He also found four foreigners in attendance. Their identities shocked him. A United States Air Force colonel and a British Army colonel both NATO liaisons, as well as two CIA officers, apparently acting as observers. On the faces of everyone around the table, Wong could read one sentiment. We've done all we can. Let's fucking get it over with already. Wong Miao saw Xu Qiang sitting at the table. In contrast to his rudeness yesterday, Xu greeted Wong as professor. But the smirk on Xu's face annoyed Wong. He didn't want to sit next to Xu, but he had no choice, as that was the only empty seat. The already thick cloud of cigarette smoke in the room became thicker. As documents were distributed, Xu moved closer to Wong. Professor Wong, I understand you're researching some kind of new material? Nano-material, Wong answered. I've heard of it. That stuff is really strong, right? Do you think it could be used to commit crimes? As Xu's face was still half smirking, Wong couldn't tell if he was joking. What do you mean? <sighs> I heard that a strand of that stuff could be used to lift up a truck. If criminals steal some and make it into a knife, can't they slice a car in half with one stroke? There's no need to even make it into a knife. That kind of material can be made into a line as thin as one hundredth of a hair. If you string it across a road, a passing car would be sliced into two halves like cheese. But what can't be used for criminal purposes? Even a dull knife for descaling a fish can. Xu pulled a document halfway out of the envelope in front of him and shoved it back in again, suddenly losing interest. You're right. Even a fish can be used to commit a crime. I handled a murder case once. Some bitch cut off her husband's family jewels. You know what she used? A frozen tilapia she got out of the freezer. The spines along the back were like razors. I'm not interested. Did you ask me to the meeting just to talk about this? Fish? Nanomaterials? No, no. Nothing to do with those. Xu put his mouth next to Wong's ear. Don't be nice to them. They're prejudiced against us. All they want is to get information out of us, but never tell us anything. Look at me. 
I've been here for a month, and I still don't know anything, just like you. Comrades, General Chung said, let's get started. Of all the combat zones around the globe, this one has become the focal point. We need to update the current situation for all the attending comrades. The unusual term combat zone gave Wong pause. He also noticed that the general did not seem to want to explain in detail the background of what they were dealing with to new people like him. This supported Shu's point. Also, in General Chung's short opening remarks, he used the word comrades twice. Wang looked at the NATO and CIA officers sitting across from him. The general had neglected to add gentlemen. They're also comrades. Anyway, that's how everyone addresses each other here, Xu whispered to Wang, pointing at the four foreigners with his cigarette. While he was baffled by how Xu knew what he was thinking, Wang was impressed with his powers of observation. Da Xu, put out your cigarette. There's enough smoke here, General Chung said as he flipped through some documents. He called Xu Qiang by a nickname, Big Xu. Xu looked around but couldn't find an ashtray. In the end, he dropped the cigarette into a teacup. He raised his hand, and before Chung could even acknowledge him, he spoke loudly. General, I have a request, which I've made before. I want information parody. General Chung lifted his head. There's never been a military operation in which there was information parody. I have to apologize to all the scholars, but we cannot give you any more background. We are not the same as the eggheads, Shu said. The police have been part of the battle command center from the start. But even now, we still don't know what this is all about. You continue to push the police out. You learn from us what you need about our techniques, and then you send us away one by one. Several other police officers in attendance whispered to Shu to shut up. It surprised Wang that Shu dared to speak in this manner to a man of Chung's rank, but Chung's response surprised him even more. Da Shu, it seems that you still have the same problem you had back when you were in the army. You think you can speak for the police? Because of your poor record, you had already been suspended for several months, and you were about to be expelled from the force. I asked for you because I value your experience in city policing. You should treasure this opportunity. Xu continued to speak roughly. So, I'm working in the hope of redeeming myself by good service? I thought you told me that all my techniques were dishonest and crooked. But useful, Chung nodded at Xu. All we care about is if they're useful. In a time of war, we can't afford to be too scrupulous. We can't be too fastidious, a CIA officer said in perfect modern standard Mandarin. We can no longer rely on conventional thinking. The British colonel apparently also understood Chinese. He nodded. To be or not to be, he added in English. 
It's a matter of life and death. What is he saying? Shu asked Wong. Nothing, Wong replied mechanically. The people before him seemed to be speaking out of a dream. Time of war? Where is this war? He twisted to look out one of the floor-length windows. Through the window, he could see Beijing in the distance. Under the spring sun, cars filled the streets like a dense river. On a lawn, someone was walking a dog. A few children were playing. Which is more real, the world inside or outside these walls? General Chung said, recently, the enemy has intensified the pattern of attacks. The targets remain elite scientists. Please begin by taking a look at the list of names in the document. Wong took out the first page of the document, printed in large font. The list seemed to have been generated in a hurry, containing both Chinese and English names. Professor Wong, as you look through these names, does anything strike you? General Chung asked. I know three of the names. All of them are famous scholars working at the forefront of physics research. Wong was a little distracted. His eyes locked onto the last name on the list. In his mind, the two characters took on a different tint than the names above it. How can her name appear here? What happened to her? You know her? Xu pointed to the name with a thick finger, stained yellow from smoking. Wang did not reply. Ha! <sighs> Don't know her, but wanna know her. Now Wang Miao understood why it made sense for General Chung to have asked to have this man who was once a soldier under his command. Xu, who appeared so vulgar and careless, had eyes as sharp as knives. Maybe he wasn't a good cop, but he was certainly a fearsome one. A year earlier, Wang Miao had been in charge of the nanoscale components for the Sinotron II high-energy particle accelerator project. One afternoon, during a brief break at the Liancian construction site, Wang was struck by the scene before him. As a landscape photography enthusiast, Wang often saw the sites around him as artistic compositions. The main component of the composition was the solenoid of the superconducting magnet they were still installing. About three stories high and only half completed, the magnet loomed like a monster made of giant blocks of metal and a confusing mess of cryogenic coolant pipes. Like a junk heap from the Industrial Revolution, the structure exuded inhuman technological grimness and steel-bound barbarity. In front of this metal monster stood the slim figure of a young woman. The composition's lighting was fantastic as well. The metal monster was buried in the shadow of a temporary construction shelter, further emphasizing its stern, rough quality. But a single ray of light from the westering sun coming through the central hole in the shelter fell right on the woman. The soft glow lit up her supple hair and highlighted her white neck above the collar of her overalls as though a single flower was blooming in a metal ruin after a violent thunderstorm. What are you looking at? Get back to work. Wong was shocked out of his reverie, but then realized that the director of the Nanotechnology Research Center wasn't talking to him, but to a young engineer who had also been staring at the woman. 
Having returned from art to reality, Wong saw that the young woman wasn't an ordinary worker. The chief engineer stood next to her, explaining something respectfully. Who is she? Wong asked the director. You should know her, the director said, waving his hand around in a large circle. The first experiment on this 20 billion yuan accelerator will probably be to test her superstring model. Now, seniority matters in theoretical physics, and normally she wouldn't have been senior enough to get the first shot. But those older academics didn't dare to show up first, afraid that they might fail and lose face. So that's why she got the chance. What? Young Dong is a woman? Indeed, the director said. We only found out when we finally met her two days ago. The young engineer asked, does she have some psychological issue? Why else wouldn't she agree to be interviewed by the media? Maybe she's like Qian Zhongshu, who died without ever appearing on TV. But at least we knew Qian's gender. I bet Yang had some unusual experiences as a child. Maybe it made her somewhat autistic. Wong's words were tinged with a hint of self-mockery. He wasn't even famous enough for the media to be interested in him, let alone to turn down interview requests. Yang walked over with the chief engineer. As they passed, she smiled at Wong and the others, nodding lightly without saying anything. Wong remembered her limpid eyes. That night, Wong sat in his study and admired the few landscape photographs, his works he was the most proud of hanging on the wall. His eyes fell on a frontier scene, a desolate valley terminating in a snow-capped mountain. On the near end of the valley, half of a dead tree, eroded by the vicissitudes of many years, took up one-third of the picture. In his imagination, Wong placed the figure that lingered in his mind at the far end of the valley. Surprisingly, it made the entire scene come alive, as though the world in the photograph recognized that tiny figure and responded to it, as though the whole scene existed for her. He then imagined her figure in each of his other photographs, sometimes pasting her two eyes into the empty sky over the landscapes. Those images also came alive, achieving a beauty that Wong had never imagined. Wong had always thought that his photographs lacked some kind of soul. Now he understood that they were missing her. All the physicists on this list have committed suicide in the last two months, General Chung said. Wong was thunderstruck. Gradually, his black-and-white landscapes faded into blankness in his mind. The photographs no longer had her figure in the foreground, and her eyes were wiped from the skies. Those worlds were all dead. When did this happen? Wong asked mechanically. The last two months, Chung repeated. You mean the last name, don't you? Shu responded with satisfaction. She was the last to commit suicide. Two nights ago, overdosed on sleeping pills. She died very peacefully, no pain. For a moment, Wong was grateful to Shu. Why? Wong asked. The dead scenes in those landscape photographs continued to flicker through his mind. General Chung replied, 
The only thing we can be sure of is this. The same reason drove all of them to suicide, but it's hard to articulate. Maybe it's impossible for us non-specialists to even understand the reason. The document contains excerpts from their suicide notes. Everyone can examine them after the meeting. Wong flipped through the notes. All of them seem to be long essays. Dr. Ding, would you please show Yang Dong's note to Professor Wong? Hers is the shortest and possibly the most representative. The man in question, Ding Yi, had been silent until now. After another pause, he finally took out a white envelope and handed it across the table to Wong. She whispered, he was Yang's boyfriend. Wang recalled that he had seen Ding at the particle accelerator construction site in Liangxiang. He was a theoretician who had became famous for his discovery of the macroatom while studying ball lightning. Wang took from the envelope a thin, irregularly shaped sheet exuding a faint fragrance. Not paper, but birch bark. A single line of graceful characters was written on it. All the evidence points to a single conclusion. Physics has never existed and will never exist. I know what I'm doing is irresponsible, but I have no choice. There wasn't even a signature. She was gone. Physics does not exist. Wong had no idea what to think. General Chung closed the folder. The file also contains some specific information related to the experimental results obtained after the completion of the world's three newest particle accelerators. It's very technical and we won't be discussing it here. The first focus of our investigation is the frontiers of science. UNESCO designated 2005 the World Year of Physics, and that organization gradually developed out of the numerous academic conferences and exchanges that occurred among world physicists that year. Dr. Ding, since you're a theoretical physicist, can you give us more background on it? Ding nodded. I have no direct connection with the frontiers of science, but it is famous in academia. Its core goal is a response to the following. Since the second half of the 20th century, physics has gradually lost the concision and simplicity of its classical theories. Modern theoretical models have become more and more complex, vague, and uncertain. Experimental verification has become more difficult as well. This is a sign that the forefront of physics research seems to be hitting a wall. Members of the frontiers of science want to attempt a new way of thinking. To put it simply... They want to use the methods of science to discover the limits of science, to try to find out if there is a limit to how deeply and precisely science can know nature, a boundary beyond which science cannot go. The development of modern physics seems to suggest that such a line has been touched. Very good, General Chung said. According to our investigation, most of the scholars who committed suicide had some connection with the frontiers of science, and some were even members. But we found no evidence of the use of illegal psychotropic drugs or techniques akin to the psychological manipulation of religious cults. In other words, even if the frontiers of science influenced them, it was only through legal academic exchanges. Professor Wong, since they recently contacted you, we'd like to ask you for some information. 
Shu added gruffly, including the names of your contacts, the times and locations of meetings, the content of your conversations, and if you exchanged letters or emails, shut up, Da Shu, General Chung said. Another police officer leaned over and whispered to Shu, do you think we'll forget you have a mouth if you don't use it all the time? Shu picked up his teacup, saw the drowned cigarette butt inside, and put it back down. Shu's questions irritated Wong again, not unlike the feeling a man has upon finding out that he has swallowed a fly with his meal. The gratitude he had felt earlier was gone without a trace, but he restrained himself and answered. My contact with the frontiers of science began with Shen Yufei. She's a Japanese physicist of Chinese descent who currently works for a Japanese company here in Beijing. She once worked at a Mitsubishi lab researching nanotech. We met at a technical conference at the beginning of this year. Through her, I met a few other physicist friends, all members of the frontiers of science, some Chinese, some foreign. When I talked with them, all the topics were, oh, how do I put this, very radical. They all involved the question that Dr. Ding just described. What is the limit of science? Initially, I didn't have much interest in these topics. I thought of them as only an idle pastime. My work is in applied research, and I don't know much about these theoretical matters. Mainly, I was interested in listening to their discussions and arguments. All of them were deep thinkers with novel points of view, and I felt that I was opening my mind through the exchanges. Gradually, I grew more interested. But all our talk was limited to pure theory and nothing else. They once invited me to join the frontiers of science, but if I had done so, attending the discussions would have turned into a duty. Since my time and energy were limited, I declined. Professor Wong, General Chung said, we'd like you to accept the invitation and join the frontiers of science. This is the main reason we asked you here today. Through you, we'd like to learn more about the internal workings of the organization. You want me to be a mole? Wong was uneasy. <laughs> A mole, Shu laughed. Chung gave Shu a reprimanding look. He turned back to Wong. We just want you to give us some information. We have no other way in. Wong shook his head. I'm sorry, General, I cannot do this. Professor Wong, the frontiers of science is made up of elite international scholars, Investigating it is an extremely complex and sensitive matter. For us, it's like walking across thin ice. Without someone from academia helping us, we cannot make any progress. This is why we're making this request. But we'll respect your wishes. If you won't agree, we understand. I am very busy at work. I just don't have the time. General Chung nodded. All right, Professor Wong. We won't waste any more of your time. Thank you for coming to this meeting. Wong waited a few more seconds before realizing that he had been dismissed. 
General Chung politely accompanied Wong to the door. They could hear Shu's loud voice behind them. It's better this way. I disagree with the plan anyway. So many bookworms have already killed themselves. If we send him, he'd be a meat dumpling thrown to the dogs. Wong turned around and walked back to Shu. Forcing his anger down, Wong said, The way you speak is not appropriate for a good police officer. Who said I'm a good cop? We don't know why these researchers killed themselves, but you shouldn't speak of them so contemptuously. Their minds have made irreplaceable contributions to humanity. You're saying they're better than me? Still seated, Shu lifted his eyes to meet Wong's. At least I wouldn't kill myself just because someone told me some bullshit. You think I would? I have to be concerned about your safety. That trademark smirk again. I think I would be much safer than you in such situations. You must know that a person's ability to discern the truth is directly proportional to his knowledge. I'm not sure about that. Take someone like you. Be quiet, Dasha, General Chung said. One more sentence and you're out of here. It's okay, Wong said. Let him speak. He turned to General Chung. I've changed my mind. I will join the frontiers of science as you wish. Good, Shu nodded vigorously. Stay alert after you join. Gather intelligence whenever it's convenient. For example, glance at their computer screens. Memorize email or web addresses. That's enough. You misunderstand me. I don't want to be a spy. I just want to prove you're an idiot. If you remain alive after you've joined them for a while, that would be the best proof. But I'm afraid for you. Shu lifted his face, and the smirk turned into a wolfish grin. Of course I'll stay alive, but I never want to see you again. They kept Wong out of the way while the others left, so he wouldn't have to deal with Shu Chiang again. Then General Chung walked Wong all the way down the stairs and called for a car to take him back. He said to Wong, Don't worry about Shu Chiang. That's just his personality. He's actually a very experienced speed officer and anti-terrorism expert. Twenty years ago, he was a soldier in my company. As they approached the car, Chung added, Professor Wong, you must have many questions. What did everything you talked about in there have to do with the military? War has everything to do with the army. Wong looked around in the spring sun, baffled. But where is this war? This is probably the most peaceful period in history. Chung gave him an inscrutable smile. You will know more soon. Everyone will know. Professor Wong, have you ever had anything happen to you that changed your life completely? 
Some event where afterward the world became a totally different place for you? No. Then your life has been fortunate. The world is full of unpredictable factors, yet you have never faced a crisis. Wong turned over the words in his mind, still not understanding. I think that's true of most lives. Then most people have lived fortunately. But many generations have lived in this plain manner. All fortunate. Wong laughed, shaking his head. I have to confess that I'm not feeling very sharp today. Are you suggesting that- Yes. The entire history of humankind has been fortunate. From the Stone Age till now, no real crisis has occurred. We've been very lucky. But if it's all luck, then it has to end one day. Let me tell you, it's ended. Prepare for the worst. Wong wanted to ask more, but Chung shook his head and said goodbye preventing any more questions. After Wong got into the car, the driver asked for his address. Wong gave it and asked, Oh, were you the one who took me here? I, I thought it was the same type of car. No, it wasn't me. I took Dr. Ding here. Wong had a new idea. He asked the driver to take him to Ding's address instead. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow this podcast to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy the audiobook of The Three-Body Problem wherever books or audiobooks are sold.